You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. This is worship. It's all about what I want. There's this misleading assumption that worship is more than music and songs. And whether you like it or not, worship music is about being entertaining. We miss the entire point when we think we meet with God during worship. The bottom line is we must genuinely seek to look like we are authentic. We falsely believe that we just need to add meaning to our mediocre existence. It is absolutely possible to go about our lives in misery. Without worship, we would still have the same life story tomorrow. I refuse to believe under any circumstance that we will experience wonder and creativity in worship. You must know that you can continue to go through the motions. No longer can we believe that it's only about God. This is worship. When you have a real experience with Jesus, he turns us all upside down. This is worship. Believe that it's only about God. No longer can we continue to go through the motions. You must know that you can experience wonder and creativity in worship. I refuse to believe under any circumstance that we will still have the same life story tomorrow. Without worship, we would go about our lives in misery. It is absolutely possible to add meaning to our mediocre existence. We falsely believe we just need to look like we are authentic. The bottom line is, we must genuinely seek to meet with God during worship. We miss the entire point when we think worship music is about being entertaining. And whether you like it or not, worship is more than music and songs. There's this misleading assumption that it's all about what I want. This is worship. We just finished a series that we called Real Marriage, and uh, originally the title of this series was going to be Authentic Worship, and I thought, well, we just talked about real marriage, so let's talk about real worship and go with a similar title. Um, In Real Marriage, we were focusing upon how important marriage is. God designed marriage. God made marriage. God, being the creator of marriage and the creator of the universe, has the right to set the parameters about what marriage is supposed to be and what it is not supposed to be. Uh, God made you. God made me. Uh, And if you noticed, I just said God several times. And the reason I did so was intentional because while marriage is very important, marriage or your spouse or your children, uh, none of those things are to be worshipped. God is the most important and he's to be worshipped. And, and that's what we are going to focus on in, in these three weeks that we have kind of for this little bit of a mini-series that we're calling Real Worship. See, it's really needful, I think, in our culture because our culture is being bombarded all the time from various, you know, avenues, uh, trying to call us to worship different things. Uh, you know, whether it be television or the movies or, or just, you know, out in life, whatever. Satan, I think, is intentionally having a lot of competing things trying to draw our attention to worship something other than God. Matter of fact, the reason and the goal for that, I think, is that Satan himself wants to be worshipped. 
That's what got him kicked out of heaven. He wanted to be the one that drew all of the attention. And he wants us to change our focus from worshiping God to worshiping other things. And if he does that, he can maybe draw our attention to a successful worship of things that he would like for us to worship. You you might could say we're kind of like we're in the wilderness with Satan ourselves. And he's tempting us to worship him. And if we will, he's promising to give us all these things that the world throws out there. Kind of like you did with Jesus. Look at this passage of Scripture. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, and this is what I want you to key in on. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Worship belongs to God. We are to be sure that we worship God. You're going to notice a change-up in some things probably over these three weeks, intentionally hoping to get you to focus more upon worship. Even the way maybe some of the songs are done, some of the videos, you know, the, the introduction video that we're playing before the message each week, you just saw a moment ago, and, and I probably, you know, was cheating a little bit because I'm up here in the darkness, and you're looking at the screens, and I can still see your faces a little bit, and as you're hearing that read through the first time, I can see some of you are thinking, what? Well, that's not right. What did he just say? But then the neat thing of it is, when it got to the end and it did it in reverse, all of a sudden it said exactly what it should say. I guess we're guilty of some Christian backward masking today, you know, or something. You know what that is? All the old rock albums, you know, they'd put a subliminal message in, you had to play it backwards to get, you know, Satan out of it. Well, we played the video backwards where you could get worship out of it. You know what happens with a country song. You've heard that before. If you play it backwards, your dog comes back, your wife comes back, your pickup truck is not repossessed, and all kinds of things like that, you know. During this series, also one thing to be a little bit different is that each one of day three's pastors are going to bring a message. So, you know, I'm up today, and then next week, Daryl is going to talk to you. And then after that, John's going to close the series out. And what we're going to focus on in this series is today starting out with the attitude of worship. And then Daryl, because he's kind of involved in our volunteers and discipleship and things like that, he's going to talk to you about the activity or the actions of worship. Because, you see, it's also worship to serve God. You know, not just come here and sit in this place and think that equates worship. It's also worship for you to serve God. That's a primary way we ought to worship. And then John's going to finish up some talking about the the atmosphere of worship. But today as we think about this, the attitude of of worship, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a different type of message because I'm just going to kind of give you some some word studies and I'm going to warn you up front there's going to be some activities maybe uh, that we're going to throw in. Uh, I, I do want to say this though before I jump into the message. I hope that you came here today to worship. I hope every time that you come to Day 3 Church that you recognize you're coming here to worship. 
I, I really wish, guys, you'd do this. I wish you would have worshipped, you know, all through the week before you arrive so you're not maybe coddled in to feeling like you're supposed to worship by the song service or anything like that. Uh, I, I saw, you know, some of you that got your hands up pretty quick today. I uh, saw someone come and kneel up here at the front, uh, you know, during the worship set and things like that. That gave me an indication. Maybe somebody, you know, came ready to worship to start with instead of having to be uh, conjoled into a feeling of worship. And, and I trust that you'll do that. You know, you need to come here to worship. I hope you don't just come to Day 3 Church because you think the band is cool or because you like, you know, the connection area where you can get some free coffee and, and snacks before you come in here to worship. Or I hope you don't just come here because you can wear blue jeans and not be looked down on because the pastor wears blue jeans and stuff like that. I hope that's not why you come. I hope you really Come because you want to worship God. Because you see, all that other stuff's peripheral. You know, so I, I hope you come for the right reason. I hope you're really coming because you want to worship God. I hope you worship God more than just when you're in this place that we call a worship center. Maybe I ought to say it like this. It's our goal that worship would be the center of your life. Not just when you come to a worship center. So, so this morning, I want to make three quick suggestions to you about the attitude of worship based upon some words in the Bible. But to start with, the, the attitude of worship involves bowing before God. It involves, it, it can be portrayed, the attitude of worship can be portrayed in bowing before God. And I know you realize that because you read through the Bible, I mean, you see people on their face before God, you see people bowing before God and things like that. But, but I'm talking about more than this, just recognizing it happened in the Bible, and more than just, you know, every now and then, maybe you decide to kneel and pray before you go to bed at night or when you get up in the morning. We, we need to be willing to, to bow down before God. And, and it's, you know, sometimes you may be in a situation where you can't physically bow, but I don't think that's the deal as much as it is being willing to bow your heart before God. To have that degree of humility as you bow before Him. There are two main words I want us to look at, one from the Old Testament one from the New Testament that's translated worship. Here's the first one in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word shaha, and it means to bow down to prostrate oneself before another in order to do him honor and reverence. This mode of salutation consisted in falling upon the knees, touching the forehead to the ground. I mean, that's really kneeling. It's like you're laying, you know, prostrate uh, before God. Touching the forehead to the ground is used specifically to bow down before God in the Bible, or sometimes it's rendered bowing down uh, before false gods in the Bible. But it's a word that was always spoken of bowing down for the means of worship. And we need to recognize that. I want to show you some instances of how that's used in the Bible. And and, uh, in Exodus 33, in verse 10, the Bible says this, And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship. So since the word means to, to bow down or be prostrate, it's like the people are there in their tents. They see the presence of God there. They rise up to do this, to fall down. They, they rise up to bow down before God. Here's another instance of the word being used in the Old Testament. In Job, it says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell down on the ground and worshiped. Can I remind you what had happened just right before Job did this? 
Job just had received news that all of his children were dead. That they were in a house having a party and the wind came in and blew the four walls of the house down and it fell upon them. And Job had just lost all of his children. You know what we tend to do when we go through difficulties and situations that, like that in our life? We'll, we'll question God. We'll get bitter at God. We'll maybe walk away from God and, and things like that. I want to show you what Job did. I want you to grab that because you know what? We will face difficulties in life. Amen. We will face tragedies in life a lot of times. But right here is a good model for us. Whenever it hits, what you need to do is just bow down and worship God. Imagine that. You were just told that you've lost your children And yet he bows down and he worships God anyway. Look here, another instance in the Old Testament. Psalms 86, 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. All the nations are going to bow down before him. That kind of reminds me of a New Testament text, by the way, over in Philippians. Therefore God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Worship is portrayed in the Bible as actually bowing down before God. In the New Testament, here's a New Testament word, and we're going to look at it not just in terms of bowing down, but it's got some additional meaning too. We'll see in a moment. But it's a Greek word, proskuneo. It means to crouch before, to kneel, to prostrate oneself in homage, reverence, and adoration, kind of similar to the word we just saw in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew. We're told now in the New Testament that when we worship, we ought to crouch before God. We ought to kneel before Him. But, you know, we're willing to prostrate ourselves in homage and reverence and adoration before God. Some instances of that in the New Testament are these. In Matthew chapter 2, and I'm just giving you a sample of these guys. It's all through the Bible, uh, all through the New Testament. Testament. But it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying this, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to do what? To worship him. And the word meant to fall or bow down before him is one of the meanings of the word that's used there. Come forward a little bit later on, and we see what happens. Look at the next verse. And going into the house... They found him now. I said, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. They come looking for Jesus. They come looking for the Messiah. They come looking for the King of Kings. And now they have found him. And when they see him, they are so moved that they fall down and they worship him, opening their treasures. They offered gifts, gold and frankincense and murder him as they fall down and they, and they worship him. Look at the next verse. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. Same word that's used for worship. Saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He said, oh, well, yeah, that was a leper. I mean, look, at he, he was diseased and he had all these problems and, and, and Jesus was his hope. So sure, he'd come and, and kneel before him. Can I remind you what leprosy is a type of, what it's a picture of? It's a type and it's a picture of sin. All of us were lepers. All of us were sinners. Our only hope is Jesus. And that's why we ought to come before him and kneel before him and honor him and worship him. Revelation chapter 11, verse 16. And the 24 elders 
who sat on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshiped God. See, sometimes we might get this attitude, well, I understand. Maybe I need to be more emotional or more visual in my worship of God. Maybe I need to sing louder. Maybe I need to actually come and kneel during a worship set. Maybe I need to fall on my face before God. But you see, I'm, I, you don't understand who I am in my mindset. I'm, I'm kind of a reserved person, and, and I'm a type of person that's maybe you know pretty dignified and everything like that. Well, we're told in the Bible about 24 elders in heaven who are sitting on thrones, and they were willing to humble themselves and fall on their face before God. None of us are too dignified to fall on our face before Him and worship Him. The, the idea of a light, and they, they just got up and then they fell down before Him in order, in order to worship. Next slide. Practice time. Let's check where your dignity really is. We're going to take a moment. Now, we're not done. I've got more to say. We're going to take a moment, and I want you to think about it. And if you're willing, I want you to turn around right where you are and kneel. You know, if you've got room there in the aisle where your chair is, or I want you to move out wherever you need to move out, here to the front, around the wall, toward the back, wherever. If you have a physical limitation of where you can't do it, you can bow your heart before Him. We're going to take a moment, and I want you to go and kneel in silence, and you worship Jesus. If you know Him as your Savior, you worship Him. Now, I know that's pretty pointed, this part of the service. You might be thinking, but I, but I don't know Jesus as my Savior. You know what? You can come talk to me during this time. I'd love to tell you how to trust in Jesus right now. But if you know Christ as your Savior, I invite you to slip out from where you are. Neil, John, our, our worship pastor, is going to come and lead us in a prayer in just a moment. But I'm going to ask him to give you a second. Because I want you to get focused. And I want you to think about how great God is and what Jesus has done for you. And if you would, slip out and kneel. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. If I take wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. 
For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we worship you this morning. We pray that you would seek out and search our hearts. Reveal to us any grievous way. Help us, Lord, to come to you with purity of thought, purity of intent, to seek you, to really, earnestly, truly seek you this morning. For we know that your word says that when we seek you, we'll find you, if we search after you with our whole hearts. May your word cleanse us this morning, Father, and give us a new outlook on worship. In Jesus' name, amen. The attitude of worship is seen in bowing before God. The attitude of worship is also pictured and kissing the hand of God. Now, I, I know that's something you can't literally do. But you can have this attitude. You can have an attitude as though you are honoring Him by kissing Him. You've seen it in movies and television. Maybe where some dignitary or some you know, king or queen. And someone will you know, bow before them. And they'll take the hand. And they'll kiss the hand as a, as a sign of honor to that person. The word that we were looking at a moment ago, proscunio, it does mean to kneel, but it also means to kiss the hand. It's the word that's most frequently used in the, in the New Testament. Look at the word study here for a moment. It's the word most frequently used in the New Testament. It means to kiss the hand toward one. In other words, you're, you're coming toward the person and, and it's, you're taking their hand and you're in their direction to where they fully see and they can fully recognize that you're kissing the hand. It's not like you've taken someone's hand and you turn their back you know, to them as you kiss the hand. It's the idea of moving toward them and kissing the hand in their direction. It, it's a token of, of reverence. It means kneeling. We looked at it a moment ago, prostration or homage. It comes from two root words in the Greek. Uh, pros means towards, and kunio means to kiss or to do reverence to. 
We, we ought to have that type of attitude as we worship God, as though we are honoring God and taking God and, and, and kissing Him on the hand. The word was also used in the Greek to describe a dog licking his master's hand. Starting to show you a video, I just get, couldn't pull it off schedule-wise and, and things like that of, of, of my dogs. I, I've got one named Layla, I should have named her Lick Lick. <clears throat> because that's all she wants to do. I mean, she'll sit there and, and you just wonder, I have any hair or hide on my hand. Because that's the way. Why, why does a dog do that anyway? I mean, why, why are dogs that, that, that excited about their, about their master? I mean, you can, you can be gone for five minutes and come in the door, and it's like you've been gone an eternity, and the dog's just jumping up and down and, you know, wagging his tail and just, you know, love to see you and come over and climb up in your lap if you let it and lick you all over. People that have done studies upon this say that, that dogs, they think in their mentality, view you as though you're their God. Because you feed them and you care for them. Now, you know, cat lovers, we've got a cat too, but, but cats have a different mentality according to the pet psychologist. I don't know if they know anything or not, but they said if a cat comes and rubs you, it's not necessarily giving affection. It's marking you as their territory because they're God and you belong to them. That's why you feed me. I'm your master. You know, they have a completely different mentality. But, but dogs just... You know, they get, get extremely excited and, and they respond to you out of, out of affection. And they're, they're, they're doing what's said here in this word state of licking the hand as though they're showing you affection and, and love and loyalty. Think about that. A word used for worship in the Bible also means a dog licking the hand of his master. So, so just maybe, just maybe, but before you come to church... And you think you've worshipped God simply because you come to church. But before you come to church and you think you've worshipped simply because you sing a few songs. But before you come to church and you feel like you've worshipped God because you dropped something in our offering pedestals. Before you really feel like you worship God, maybe you ought to stop and reflect upon the, the fact that it means to bow before Him and to kiss His hand. It means to, to be like a dog licking his, his master's hand. I mean, maybe we need to evaluate our attitudes in worship. I mean, or do we make it about us or is it about God? Do you come focused upon Jesus and what he's done for you? Or is it coming just trying to see what you can get out of the deal? You know, maybe you need to evaluate and ask yourself, do I really worship? Am I really worshiping when, when, when I come to church? You see, our, our, our dogs can just be tickled to death and just, and just happy, you know, just to be in our, in our presence. My dogs are even in tune, I think, to my movements and what I'm doing. Honest. Uh, if, if, if I, they can tell in the morning if, if I'm getting up and I have somewhere to go and I'm going to be gone versus I'm going to be at home for a little while. Based upon my activity, you know, based upon if, you know, if I'm taking a shower right away and getting dressed, my dogs look depressed. They know up front I'm leaving and I'm gone somewhere. 
Now, I don't know this because I've not been there, but my family tells me that they know before I ever pull up at the house that I'm on the way back to the house. Now, some of you are thinking, yes, because it's a motorcycle and it's loud. No, I'm telling you, if I drive the car, they know I'm there before anyone ever hears me pull up because of their hearing. They can hear me come down the street. They're in tune to the fact that it's my vehicle, and they're there waiting at the top of the stairs. As soon as I come in the vestibule of the house, they know that I'm there. You see, the reason I'm telling this story is this. Maybe we ought to be that in tune to God's movements. You and I ought to be so in tune to Him and worship Him that we understand what He's doing and where He's going. And, and, and be attached to it. We, we ought to be that in tune to the activities of, of, of God. Your, your dog will love you to death if, it, just to give you some, if you'll just give it some scraps and, and, and pet it a little bit and take it for a walk and let it drink water out of your toilet. You know, your dog ever done that? I catch mine doing it every now and then. And your dog will act you know, just devoted to you and tickle to death. So just maybe... Just maybe. I'm guessing in light of what Jesus has done for us, we ought to really, 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 really love him. Because he's done much more than give us a few scraps. He's done much more than pat us on the head. He's done much more than take us for a walk. He sent his son, God sent his son to live a perfect sinless life, to die on the cross for our sins, to take his life back up so we know through him we have everlasting life. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now praying for you and praying for me. He's gone to prepare a place for us. So I'm just saying, just maybe, we ought to at least worship him as much as our dogs worship us. Third main activity that I, that I want you to get. And by the way, when you're kissing the hand of, of God, I want you to remember something. Visualize when you're kissing the hand of Jesus. Guess what you see there? There's some nail scars there. Where he died for you and me. Third thing I want you to get this morning is this. The attitude of worship is practiced through honoring God. There's some words in the Bible that deal with worship that also mean to honor or to exalt Him. I, I want to give you a picture of a worship service in heaven, then we're going to close in a special way. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 9 through 11, here's a picture of a worship service in heaven. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks. Look, look at some of these words. Give glory and honor and thanks. The, the word glory more or less means to, to, to make bigger, to make more significant by the way they are responding. It doesn't really increase the glory of God, but in, in our viewpoint, it increases His glory because we're so honoring Him. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty and four elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For, your, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. 
Guys, you think about it, you get to heaven one day and you're going to get a reward. You, you know, you want a crown so you can put it on your head and walk around and look proud. No, I'm afraid that's not what you're going to do with it. Because when you see him in all of his glory, the only reason you have a crown to start with is because he's the king. Because he's the one that died for you. And the only thing you're going to do with that crown is cast it before his feet. Because he's the one that's worthy. We're not. He's the one that's worthy of all the glory and the honor and the power. We were created for him. We ought to worship him and glorify him. There are a lot of ways we can do that. You can do it through service. You can do it by telling people about Jesus. All kinds of ways that we can, that we can honor him through our lives. But I want us to close today by honoring Him in a wonderful way that Christians can honor Jesus. And that's through the Lord's Supper. Because as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're remembering and we're worshiping Him for what He did for us. We're remembering His body and we're remembering His blood. It's one of the most worshipful things we can do together as a body of believers. I'm going to read a text in a moment in the New Testament that tells us how to partake the Lord's Supper. But today we're doing it a little bit different. You're familiar with these prepackaged cups that we've used before and and, and, and I hope I understand tradition in churches, and we do it both ways, guys. Sometimes we have a table with a linen and everything else. You know, sometimes we do that. But, but, but I want you to understand something. Partaking of the Lord's Supper, God's looking at your heart and your attitude more than he's looking at the way a table's set. Show me anywhere in the Bible that it gives us instructions to take white linens and silver platters and anything like that. That's not what they did to start with. It has to do with our heart, our attitude. So in just a moment, after I read the verses, I'm going to ask you to come if you are a Christian. Because you see, this is only for believers. We will have an invitation between now and the time we partake of the Lord's Supper. And you can become a believer this morning. But this is only for believers because it's only someone that knows Christ as their Savior that can truly worship and reflect upon what His body and blood did for them. So I want to remind you it's only for believers and it's to be done in a very worthy manner. None of us are worthy. None of us. Listen. None of some people. I've met people before that say, "Well, I just don't partake of the Lord's Supper because I don't feel like I'm worthy." Join the crowd. Join the club. I'm not either. None of us. Who could be worthy of the blood of Jesus? No one. No one. It doesn't tell us to be worthy. It tells us to partake of it in a worthy fashion, which means we are honoring and remembering the blood and the body of Jesus. This doesn't impart grace to you. Jesus shed in his blood on the cross and you exhibiting faith in him. That's what saves you. That's what gives you grace. This is just to do in remembrance of what he's done. This is a symbol. 
of his shed blood. So it's going to be done very differently because after I read the scripture text and pray, John's going to come up and lead us in a song. And during the invitation, the invitation is not just to anyone that maybe needs their trust in Christ. The invitation is for all of you who know Christ to come, and there's several baskets here across the stage, for you to come and reach in and partake of, of your Lord's Supper. And I want you to return somewhere in this worship center. I am not going to lead you through it like I normally do. I want you with your family or family and friends or just friends or if you're just here by yourself and know no one at all, but you know Christ is your Savior. I want you during the invitation to move somewhere in this place, kneel before God, thank Him for what He's done for you, and partake of this as an act of worship yourself. And then we'll bring you to a close. Look at these verses. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in a few moments, when you get ready to partake of the bread that's on top of this cup, you are remembering his body that was nailed to the cross. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Very solemn, but very worshipful. Remembering what he has done for us. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's what we're about to do, proclaim what he's done for us. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. So it's a very serious thing. You partake of it not frivolously. You partake of it not foolishly. You partake of it focused completely upon what Jesus has done for you. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment to himself. See how serious it is? In a moment, when I invite you to come, I invite you in a real solemn, serious, worshipful way before God to remember and honor and worship what Jesus has done for you. Real worship. The attitude of, of worship is what we've talked about this morning. The attitude of worship. Do you have that in your life away from this place? Do you have the attitude of worship in your home, at work, riding down the road? Do you have the attitude of worship when you come here? Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? What? If not, you can in just a moment. The attitude of worship is betrayed by bowing before God. The attitude of worship is pictured in 
in kissing the hand of God. The attitude of worship is practiced through honoring Him because He's the one that's worthy. He's the one that died for us. He's worthy to receive the honor and the glory and the power forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts. Our Father, Lord, once again, it, God, it just amazes me that you, the holy God of all the universe, that we can call you Father because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Father, I pray that today you've reminded us how we need to worship you. You've reminded us that, that we need to have humility. We need to bow our hearts before you, our bodies before you. Father, I I pray, God, that we will approach you in worship with the attitude as though we're kissing your hand, honoring you for who you are and what you've done for us. God, I pray you would excite us like like our pets, like our dogs are excited in our presence. God, excite us and thrill us when we can be in, in your presence. Help us to respond to you with love and affection. Father, I pray right now you help us to honor you in worship for what you've done for us through Jesus. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, Father, I pray that you move upon their heart and have them to, Lord, to come and to the front. Maybe let me know that, that they need Christ as, as the others are coming to protect the Lord's Supper. But God, protect this time. Help us right now to bow our hearts, to kiss your hand, to worship you through the Lord's Supper. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to come if you know Jesus, and then on your own, find a place and worship him for what he's done for you. Praise God. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.